Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it's January, which means we've got a USMNT roster of sorts to discuss. We've got MLS arrivals and departures. We've got new coaches in the league. Here with me to discuss all that and much, much more is Mr. Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello, Taylor. Let's talk MLS, baby. Let's do it. And Mr. West Coast himself, uh, recording from an attic in a beanie. I don't know if they have heat there. David Goss, how you doing? Who needs heat when you've got love and passion? That was so disingenuous, I almost don't know what to do with it. Uh, Goss is recording, I think, in a house where other people are sleeping. So I'm really excited to see if we get energetic Goss halfway through this episode or if we get NPR Goss for most of the show. At this point, it's already like the afternoon, you know? Because in West Coast, people like wake up early and go to sleep early and eat avocado and stuff. So like it's pretty much like 4 p.m. in New York here. Did they force feed you avocados upon your entrance into the yeah. great state of California? Is that, yeah. That's what happens to me. So I just want to make sure that's a universal experience. And they're like, do you have enough grapeseed oil and all those types of things? Nice. Yeah. This seems this is coming from a a New York resident who I have to assume has eaten his weight in avocado toast at various points in his life. I was trying to show you my beanie, which says New York State of or Empire, New York State of Mine, or something like that. I just like people they to know. They didn't want to go full the, copyright infringement. I could. I can't read it honestly <laughs> myself. I just like for people to know at all times that I'm from New York, just in case they forget. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad that you are able to continuously remind people of that fact. I'm sure everyone loves it. Uh, Goss, it is good to have you here. It's nice to uh, have you here in the year 2024. Uh, any any resolutions to get to? No. Great. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's talk about the USMT <laughs> roster. We've got our January camp uh, to discuss uh, a lot of. MLS names. Is it entirely MLS, Joe? See? There we go. Uh, And you uh, wisely pointed out before we started recording, it's a lot of names who we may well be seeing at the Olympics. Yes, it is a not entirely U23 squad, but there are a lot of U23 names. A lot of folks that I watched when uh, Marko Mitrovic's U23 US squad was out here in Phoenix. That was maybe in November. Uh, But a lot of younger MLS names that probably haven't broken into the broader American soccer consciousness, along with a few that that probably have, right, for their really strong play in MLS last year. Duncan McGuire is in this team. He was maybe the breakout star in Major League Soccer last year. Bernard Camungo is a name that a lot of people know for his story. And he put together a lot of really strong minutes for FC Dallas. He scored against Inter Miami and, and Lionel Messi in League's Cup. Like, this guy is starting to develop quite the pedigree as well. So there are some bigger names in this group as well, some that have been with the U.S. national team at the senior level. Miles Robinson's in this team. He is probably the biggest name in this one in terms of forward um, prospects with the senior team. James Sands is here. There are others as well, but this is mostly a speculative group and what you know hopefully will be a productive U23-minded sort of camp. Gus, 
the January camp and the resulting game are not always the most enjoyable of games. <laughs> are there players in this team that you think could make that game more exciting, that you're excited to see play and maybe have more central roles for the U.S.? Yeah, I think when you look at this group and you think back to last year, which was a brutal game, and again, as you said, January camp experience, Cade Cowell was the bright spot coming out of it, right? He played downhill. He played aggressive. He's a young player. People were excited. So, like, this, as Joe talked about, a, a game based on potential, I think there's a lot of guys where if they're able to have a good game or shine, I think there's someone you'll be excited to see or someone excited to see that can sort of hang at that level. I think Jack McGlynn's an obvious one because of the way he plays. Diego Luna's the other obvious one because of the way he plays as well, where they're both creative, attacking players. McGlynn's ability to allow the game to pause and open up the game with a pass. Luna's ability, whether it's on the dribble or on the pass, to break open the game, finish the year on a hot streak, was the number 10 for the U-20 national team, could be that as well for the Olympic team. Um, I think those are the two that stand out, especially because I, I don't think they were part of that group you saw, Joe, right? Like no. they are coming into this group as younger players. Yeah, McGlynn was in that group, but Luna was not. And I think that was because RSL were still – in the postseason at that point, and maybe there's some other factors along the way, but this is, as far as I'm aware, certainly his first senior team camp, but I don't believe he's he's really overlapped with Marko Mitrovic either in the U23 group, and I, I don't know for sure that Mitrovic is going to be down in Orlando before the game that's going to be in San Antonio, which is a little bit weird why they're doing camp in one place and then playing a game in another, whatever, uh, but this would be a good opportunity for Diego Luna, who I think could be in for a, a really big year. Taylor, I don't know how much of, of him you've seen outside of uh, Endor and all those those uh, those TV shows, but Luna is like really, <laughs> good really... good Mexico. Yeah, exactly. He is, he is maybe the most creative number 10 in the entire U.S. pool. Like, I, I'm trying to choose my words carefully there because he's not yet proven himself to be a game changer every game in Major League Soccer, but he is incredibly smooth on the ball, good in tight spaces, has good vision, I think there's still a little bit of work to do for him being the primary playmaker for a team. And I'm curious to see if he starts in the in this upcoming game in January for the U.S. and maybe what his role will be with RSL this year as there's some DP shuffling going on with Jefferson Severino and some other stuff maybe that's going to happen. But I think Luna's role should be bigger on MLS this year. I think he should absolutely be a part of the Olympic squad that's heading to Paris later this year. And I don't really see a reason why he couldn't be one of, if not the breakout star in both of those groups. It's Joe mentioned, but with Jefferson Saverino being moved on by RSL and it finished weird for him last year, he was not always in the team. There was seemed like off field issues. Um, it feels like RSL's building the group around Diego Luna being that 10, which is beyond rare for an American and it's definitely rare. For, or it's probably unheard of for an American at the age that he's at, right? When we'll talk about Georgie Mihailovic coming up, like he was 23 or 24 before a team ever really did anything like that. And it was more system-based. Um, so it, it's going to be a huge year for Luna. It's also interesting, like you don't have to let a player go to the Olympics. So if he's that influential to RSL, yep. what does his year look like? At the same time, RSL already paid a transfer fee for him. So if they want to get money back and as well probably make a lot of money on him based off the fee that they had, maybe the Olympics is the best idea. So I think this group is interesting. There's a lot of these little conversations. I think you look at a few of the defenders who are older in Tafara and Reagan, and I think it's an opportunity where – you wanted to give some rest to some of the guys who are always a part of the group, like a Walker Zimmerman. Okay, what can these guys do? They're in one sort of conversation, and then most of the other guys are in the conversation Joe's talking about of sort of working their way into an Olympic team. 
Let's run it through the position groups then. Uh, a goalkeeper, we got Drake Callender, Roman uh, Celentano, and then uh, Patrick Schulte. Uh, my assumption would be that Callender will be the starter, though there are no caps for any of them. Uh, are either of you leaning a different way? I honestly think this one could go any direction. Celentano's That's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. USMNT camp before. Callender had the best year, in my mind, of any of those three in MLS last year. Uh, but he's also not Olympic eligible. As far as I know, Schulte is the only Olympic eligible player in this bunch. Um, I haven't checked the ages, but that's what I believe. So like maybe he gets an odd, but it really 26, 23, and then Schulte is 22. Yeah, I think Salentano's eligible, right? I imagine he would be then. Yeah, yeah he yeah. turns 24 after the Olympics. There you go. Uh, Goss, do you have any strong opinion one way or the other about goalkeepers, or should we keep it moving to defenders? Not really. I think Salentano has the highest ceiling of those players. Um, but I think the group makes sense of like these are young goalkeepers who start day in and day out. Why does he have the highest ceiling? I think he probably has the best shot stopping ability of that group. Slash is younger than Calendar and can get better. Um, and he's played in high leverage games and he's done it really well. Schulte is close, but has, just has more mistakes in his game right now. And I don't know that a lot of that of his talent over sets the mistakes that he makes and whether or not those go away. Boom. I was right. Salentano, not eligible. Jesus Ferreira, born in 2000, not eligible. Salentano, born in 2000, also not eligible. He would be an overage player. Joe gave us the Matumbo finger wag there yes. while, while, while dropping that news. I think you have to be a 2001. And Salentano, I think, is September uh, of 2000. So Joe, because didn't I didn't... By much. Because I didn't appreciate that finger wag, I have a two-part question for you. The Bring first, it. which of these goalkeepers are you... Maybe the most suspicious of, do you have the least confidence in starting right now for the U.S.? Uh, man, Cincinnati fans are not going to like this. Probably Celentano, who I think has been fine but never great for Cincinnati, which was a huge upgrade for them, by the way, from where they were prior to a couple of years ago. So he gets a lot of credit for being a part of the team that has executed the transition from Wooden Spoon to Supporter Shield, and he should, right, because he's been solid. But I think Schulte has a bit more upside with his feet and can do the shot-stopping stuff that Celentano can. And I think Calendar's probably the best shot-stopper of the bunch. All right, so that was part one. Part two would be, let's say, we have a, a goalkeeper crisis at Copa America. We, we've got Brazil in the quarterfinal. We've got to call somebody in. And your only options are Celentano or Zach Steffen, Joe. Who are you calling? Uh, I'm calling in Roman Celentano. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. I wonder if that's going to be the answer. Let's that do is, it. That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. We're going to talk about for, Zach For Steffen. listeners, Taylor loves Zach Steffen. I think yeah. he's only an average to below average goalkeeper, which is reflected in the numbers and certainly in his USMNT performances. But Taylor, Steffen is, is all yours. He's all yours. I feel like you're just trying to hurt me. What numbers is that reflected in? His MLS numbers or his you know, numbers yes. in Europe? All, all <laughs> of the above. I will drop the FB ref page link into the chat for you two to peruse as desired. <laughs> I, we're, we're going to talk more about Zach Steffen because I have more questions for Joe. They won't all be quite so <laughs> conflict-oriented. Uh, let's talk defenders. Miles Robinson, Shaq Moore, James Sands, Dwan Jones, uh, John Tolkien, Caleb Wiley, Nathan Harriel. I always want to make that Nathaniel. Uh, Ian Murphy, Jackson Regan, and Nkosi Tafari. I don't know much about Mr. Tafari. Can either of you fill in some details? I would start by calling him Tafari because I think that's how it's pronounced. All right. Does that feel that's good? That's what you've got is for that, me. <laughs> is that a good starting point? Um, sure. 
No, he's, I love Nkosi Tafari as a player. And I think when we finished out the year on this show, we talked a lot about FC Dallas. Like he was one of their few staples that's locked in. He's played in his life, all positions. He's played center back, center, mid center forward. I believe he was at UConn and transferred out to Seattle university to finish out his college career to sort of get more minutes. Um, he's one, a fascinating human being. His dad's a chef. And I think his mom is an actress and so he sort of off the field does a lot of stuff and has a lot of interest, but he is a great athlete who can stay with players in the open field, doesn't really get his hips opened up too often. And so he's able to keep the game in front of him, whether he's the center back who's stepping forward or dropping off uh, alongside a partner, good in the air, comfortable on the ball and two footed. So he's played as right center back and left center back for Dallas, finishing out most of the year at left center back and has played at a level that is um, sort of entering the elite of major league soccer center backs in that top 10, 11 category over the course of the year. And it was only his, I guess you could say second year as a full-time starter, but really first year where like he knew he was going to play every single game. So he's an exciting player and an interesting one. And I think he's one that could break into the U S national team. If we're going with the back four Goss, who would you like to see as that back four? out of this group? Yeah. So I'm assuming Miles Robinson would be in there uh, as the kind of most most capped, most veteran of performers. Yeah, I uh, think I think Tafari I would be the other center back. I think I would probably play Tolkien at left back and Dewan Jones at right back. Joe, how do you feel about that? I would go just for the sake of January camp, I would go more speculative. So I I'd, I'd probably skip Miles Robinson even though he is clearly the best center back of this whole bunch. And I'd probably go to Farai and Reagan in the middle with Tolkien on one side and Dewan Jones on the other. And if John Brooks were eligible, where would you put John him? John Brooks. Your... Bring okay. him in, baby. There we Mind go. breaking okay. passes for days. I'm just going to keep making Joe ha- answer the difficult ones. Uh, speaking of things that Joe doesn't want to talk about, let's talk about midfielders, starting with Aiden Morris. Joe, he's back. You, sto- you stoked? <laughs> Aiden Morris is back, coming in hot off of an MLS Cup win, where he was very, very good in that game. I think MLS Cups are where Aiden Morris absolutely shines, and if he's going to shine in any Cup final, then he should be in every World Cup roster for the United States from now until the end of time, because he pulls out some bangers in those games. I'll go through the rest of this position group as well, though. Josh Atencio from the Seattle Sounders, Azio Jackson from St. Louis City, Jack McGlynn, Philadelphia Union, Aiden Morris from the Columbus Crew. He's listed as Timmy Tillman. As far as I know, Greg Berhalter is like the only person that calls Tim Tillman. Timmy Tillman, maybe his teammates do. I just know that Berhalter does. So I think it's that funny like that a that's thing how that he's listed. Berhalter says in press conferences, and then he quietly to every reporter is like, it, it's, it's Timothy. Uh, but yeah, what, what was your question? <laughs> Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. Yeah, I, I imagine he's not loving that one. So we got Timmy Tillman and then Sean <laughs> Zawatsky, who played in a couple of different roles for the crew this year. Can play in central midfield, also was used as part of Wilfer Nance's um, psychological experiment and moving players into all sorts of different positions, but he can do a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, it's a relatively uninspiring midfield group, to be honest. Uh, I'm sort of like muted on Atencio. I think he's useful at an MLS level. I'm not sure he's got a ceiling that's much beyond that. Azale Jackson's just really small and undersized and kind of needs to be in a specialist second forward role because he's too small to play in midfield. And I don't think he's technical enough to overcome those physical deficiencies. And then you look at Jack McGlynn, already talked about fun, really good on the ball, great left foot, maybe the best left foot on this side of the Atlantic. Aiden Morris is an excellent ball winner. He brings a lot in certain areas of midfield. And then Tillman, I really like as well. I think he's a well-rounded player. I'm not sure his ceiling's any higher than an MLS level, but I would not mind seeing Tillman in this midfield along with McGlynn, and then you can pick the third one out of a hat. When you say the best left foot this side of the Atlantic, do you mean specifically from a USMNT perspective? 
Mm, not really. Little I mean, Messi is left-footed. Yes. Okay, fine. Yes, we'll let Messi out. Man, <laughs> just, just, I used just to say where that. We are on these I used to so say that before boring. Messi signed for Inter Miami. That was like my Jack McGlynn slogan, and now I've got to update it, Taylor. Darn it! That is so irritating. Just make it. Just make second it the second best. The second best. <laughs> That's it. That is so frustrating. Man. There's like this whole like, oh, well, you can say things, but you always have to remember Messi, Inter Miami, Luis Suarez, and you're like, oh. why are you doing an Andrew Weeby impression right now? Because <laughs> that's who it is. <laughs> and then like everyone's always going to list their things and then be like, aha, I thought of this. What about Inter Miami as a MLS Cup favorite? I feel like I'm getting the whole extra time crew in Goss's impressions right now. Goss, you knew about NCAA NCAA football refs are cheaters. Now I'm Anders as well. So I finished for you. It all covering yeah. it all, and you, we got the New York in, in the beginning, so you've talked about yourself too. Uh, any good uh bits of trivia for any of these midfielders? Do you know what their parents do, for example? Oh man, <laughs> I wasn't ready for that, <laughs> but you better be an Enkose Tafari fan now. Aiden Morris has a brother who signed in USL somewhere. I know that. I'm trying to do other ones. You do McGlynn's dad, Jack McGlynn's dad, Ran Gachi. I assume you know Gachi Taylor from being from not. the Northeast. Really, no, oh, That's they gotcha. were they're like the biggest youth club in New York City. And they were part of like the Met Oval original, like German, Austrian, Hungarian, like ethnic clubs in New York City that were always dominant. Um, when you look back in the like, I don't think they won open cups, but like, you know, the like Bethlehem Steel days. Wait, whose dad was this? Jack McGlynn's dad. Okay. Oh, I actually Second did know this. There we go. I did know this. It's yeah. Like, and his yes, brother Jack plays Mc- in USL. Yeah, his brother plays in USL. Tim, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Timmy Tillman's brother, Malik Tillman, <laughs> happens to play for a, a very good Dutch Isn't club. Isn't it called, <laughs> Don't even get me started on Tillman <laughs> pronunciation. <laughs> plays for uh, PSV. Very good. All right, uh, Joe, you want to run us through the final position group? Real quick on this one. I think this is the group most where there are question marks to me of like, I love Sean Zwatsky as a player. I've watched him since he was in the academy. He is never going to be a part of this group. He's not. Olympic eligible, where you look out and you say, like, Daniel Edelman is already playing minutes in Major League Soccer. Owen Wolf is a full-time starter in Major League Soccer. Now, I'm sure that a lot of this roster is talking to players and coaches and executives about who needs some rest, who has more games this year. Like, there's not, it's not just as simple as, like, oh, this person could slot in here. They have to come in. But this, I think, this, and then we didn't talk about Chris Brady in goal. I think those, these are the two groups where you say there feels like there are more misses in this conversation of, like, who would be part of this group of trying to break through. Maybe we're interested. Maybe dual national. I assume Noel Buck was invited and said no. Like, there are more conversations around that, but this group feels a little bit more empty. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The midfield group is light, and there's not a ton of clarity in terms of roles for some of these players either. Looking at the forward group, there's four wingers in here and two center forwards. Esmir Baraktarovic from the New England Revolution. If you don't know that name, don't worry. He doesn't play much for the Revs at this point, but is young and, and talented and did well um, when the U23 group was out here in Phoenix. Kate Cowles in the squad, maybe on his way to Chivas, which I think would be sick. Bernard Camungo, I mentioned his name earlier from FC Dallas, and Diego Luna. Those are the winger half-space guys, depending on the player. They, they interpret that role a little bit differently. And then Duncan McGuire and Brian White are the two strikers. Uh, McGuire is Olympic eligible. Brian White is not. So if he's going to be at the Olympics later on this summer, he would have to be one of the overage players. Taylor, can I run through my whole... Um, Joe wants to see this 11 for January camp. Can I do Please. it? Yes. Okay. Drake Callender in goal. 
got Dewan Jones, John Tolkien, as I already talked about, Tafari and Jackson Reagan in the middle. I've got Aiden Morris as the number six with Tillman and McGlynn as the dual number eights. Then Diego Luna as the sort of one of the nominal wingers drifting inside, basically in a free roll. Kamungo on one wing, keeping the width, and then Duncan McGuire through the middle. I think Brian White's probably the better center forward, but this is my Miles Robinson principle of let's just see the dudes that we're still trying to learn more about and maybe could play a role at some Olympic competitions. So I, I've got McGuire in this in this bunch as the nine. Gus, how do you feel about that eleven? Uh, mainly, I don't care. But <laughs> uh, do you not think Brian White is Man, part that, of that, that? Though you just killed Taylor. Yeah, I know. Do, do you not think Brian White? Just the more? scintillating, scintillating analysis and hot takes that yeah. we're here for today. Yeah, Thank I you, appreciate you guys David having Goss me. On vacation. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, <laughs> do you not, Joe? Do you not though? In terms of like Miles Robinson, is he USMNT full time starter? Yeah, Brian White's less set yeah. in stone, yeah, and could you. be an Olympic overage guy of like is the nine a position that you need? Yeah, I think Brian White's ceiling is like a Jeremy Abobasi and MLS kind of player, which is very good. Maybe his ceiling's a little bit above that. And McGuire's ceiling is still unknown to me. Like, I'm, I'm not sure if he's a uh, 2,000 MLS minutes a year guy or if he's a 2,500 Europa League minutes kind of guy, right? So I don't know where that's going to land, and I would rather see more of Duncan McGuire. So I've got him as the nine. I, I don't think Brian White's going to be at the Olympics. That would be a weird overage pick. Maybe, maybe he will. I have no inside info there. But I, I just want to see Duncan McGuire play more soccer. Joe, who would you rather have play soccer for your team? Uh, Timmy Tillman or Keaton Parks? Uh, Keaton Parks. Yeah, I'm always bummed that Keaton Parks is never in these rosters. Probably the best ball progressor outside of Lionel Messi and Sergio <laughs> Yon. No, <laughs> but I think he is, he is probably the smoothest on the ball in terms of moving it forward from point A to point B and breaking lines. And it is still a huge bummer that it seems like Berlther has just never rated him. All right, so that is our USMNT January camp roster chat. Uh, gentlemen, any other final thoughts before we move to MLS transfers? Yeah, just one thing quickly from me. It's really easy, and I think fine, like to poke fun at January camp, right? This People call it Camp Cupcake, and that's like its, it's adorable nickname and whatever. Uh, it, it's not going to be the craziest game that we're going to get later on this month. It's not going to tell us a whole lot of stuff. What I will say is I was, I was thinking about this earlier this week. These are the camps that we applaud Mexico for having. These are the camps that we applaud other federations for putting together to give the coaching staff more reps and to help them get familiar with younger players. And yes, it doesn't mean much for January or for February of 2024. It will mean a little bit for the Olympics this summer, which only means so much on its own anyway. But I just think these are good types of moments to have. I'm not sure if January camp is the best um, you know, way of having it, or maybe there's other smarter ways you could sprinkle it in throughout the year, whatever it is. But I like the idea of having camps to get groups of players together, to ID them, to work with them. And so I, like many others, will continue to poke fun at January camp in all likelihood. But I think all in all, it's a useful exercise. At least the concept is a useful one. Yeah. I think that's a really good reminder, Joe, because I definitely get cynical about January camp, forgetting that plenty of players have established themselves along the way, starting in January and then getting call ups from there. But also to your point, it is probably very useful to have players who would certainly not be considered like veteran leaders if the senior team is assembled being more so in that role this time and just preparing them for the Olympics and just giving them an opportunity to come together and play as a team. I think you're totally right. So. I shouldn't be as down as I have been about this January camp. I will instead be very excited, uh, even if I still might mispronounce a name or two. Uh, gentlemen, let's take a quick break. and We'll come back to talk some MLS. Back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes 
and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We have m- many, many MLS moves to discuss. We're going to try to get to them quickly so Goss can get out there and shred that gnar. Uh, but Joe, I'm going to come to you first to ask you, which team has been most intriguing to you so far in the offseason? Wow, shred that gnar. Um, that's, <laughs> that is awesome. Um, I think you also are, I think, uh, by the way, I've, I have not really done my hosting duties because I haven't yet asked Goss. Goss, uh, fresh powder? We got fresh powder today? What's up, bro? Uh, it's not a powder day yet. It's going to oh, be a bit bad. of All like right. get my skis under me type day. But don't worry, dude. Tomorrow I'm going to be my face is going to melt off from fresh pow. It's going to be gnarly. <laughs> I, I hate, hate hated this. every bit of that. Um, <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the Colorado Rapids, which um, Gus, I don't know about you, but I didn't have them on my like top of the list projected offseason teams doing interesting things. Granted, it's early in the offseason, folks. We are barely a year into the or barely a, a week and change into the new year. Um, so the Rapids hold this crown for now, along with Cincinnati. But I think we've talked a bit more about Cincy recently. Colorado have made a handful of notable moves. One is Omir Fernandez, who they signed as a free agent from the New York Red Bulls. He is the youngest free agent signing in MLS history, which is fun. Uh, He's not the most notable, though, of this trio of of notable moves that they've made. Colorado signed Zach Steffen in goal. Uh, Everyone listening to this episode, I'm guessing, will know who Zach Steffen is. Former Manchester City goalkeeper who played two Premier League games in two years. 
Uh, and uh, <laughs> that's not even intended to be a shot. Former, uh, formerly on loan at Dusseldorf and was the Columbus Cruz goalkeeper and got a bunch of games with the national team under Greg Berhalter. And then Georgi Mihailovic, who I think is indisputably like the biggest name of those three. I don't think anybody, even folks that like Zach Steffen would, would probably disagree with that. Georgie was with Montreal, was very, very good under Wilfred Nancy, like most players tend to be. Then went over to Azed in the Netherlands and, and couldn't really find his footing there as one of their most expensive signings ever. And now he's back in Major League Soccer. I expect he'll be carrying a lot of the attacking burden for a team that doesn't have a lot of other very good players to do that stuff. But I think it's a, a really strong move by the Rapids to bring him in as a DP. You had that spot open. Mihalovic is a, a good, proven MLS player. I don't know that he has the ceiling. Let me rephrase. I know he doesn't have the ceiling of some other top DPs in Major League Soccer. But the Rapids, I think, have pretty clearly gotten better from where they were a month ago, or a little bit more when their season ended, to where we are today on January 9th. This question may not make sense, which is always a good way to begin it. Joe, do you have like a bar or a line for when a player returning to MLS is exciting versus disappointing? Because I don't know where I am on Georgia Mihailovic. Because that move to AZ, it felt like, okay, this could be the start of him being this creative attacking force in in the Netherlands, and then we'll see what happens. And and it doesn't feel like it kicked on. Yeah. Now he's back in the league. And I don't think that's the worst thing either. He has obviously had success there. He's been a good player there. He's played for the U.S. there. So it, it's one that like makes sense, but at the same time doesn't feel like it's the like the best move for him overall. Yeah, it just depends on your perspective, right? If if you're a USMNT fan only or a non-Colorado Rapids fan who also happens to be a fan of the United States men's national team, you're you're probably bummed about this because you know that going to a top club in the Netherlands is often a launch point to go play in England or go play in Spain or whatever it is, right? Like that's a, a launch point that MLS just isn't at this point. And we also know that players don't usually go across the Atlantic and back and across again, right? Even when you're relatively young. So if you're a U.S. fan who wanted Georgie to be starting at the 2026 World Cup, yeah, you're probably bummed about this. If you're an MLS fan or certainly if you're a Colorado Rapids fan, you're probably stoked about that. And I think that same principle kind of goes for James Sands. Maybe a lot of NYCFC fans, because he was their player before, wanted to see him go and, and really like become something in Europe. Goes to Rangers, that doesn't happen. Now NYCFC have a really good number six who just could not quite find his footing in a, mm -hmm. a big club in Scotland. So I think it all depends on your perspective. Gus, I did the preview for Colorado last year and had a lot of concern about the way they'd gone about building their roster and, and, and where they had right. depth versus where they did not. Yeah, it turns out. Does this roster build so far inspire more confidence for you? Yeah, they're, all these players have already proven they're at a level higher than the guys the Rapids brought in last year to do the same job. Last year, it was more rolls of the dice, whether it was guys coming from overseas like a Connor Ronan who had never played in MLS, so you don't know what you're going to get, or Kevin Cabral who had never shown his potential, and you're hoping that you're the right spot where he figures it out. Can I add a, a fourth fan, though, to Joe's thing, which is a yeah. Georgie Mihailovic fan. The guy's fun to watch play soccer, and when he's enjoying the game, what we saw at Montreal, he is a fun soccer player to watch, and I think we will hopefully see that again with the Colorado Rapids. And I think that's where you're looking at a few guys here. Zach Steffen as well, when he gets the ball at his feet, as much as Joe might dislike it or, you know, as a shot stopper in his big moments, fun soccer player to watch. I thought Omir Fernandez was fantastic. Hopefully the Rapids play a little more soccer than the Red Bulls. He could be a really good part of all of this. Um, but Georgie Mihailovic was one of the, you know, he was borderline or was best 11 major league soccer player, and he's still in the prime of his career. So he could be that player again with Colorado. And I think 
even sometimes when it doesn't go well, you see players come back from a European environment and have a different mindset of like what they're capable of, the way they play. We've seen this a lot with guys who go and train in off seasons. I think we saw it with Georgi Mihailovic. Like when he was in Montreal, he went and trained at Bologna um, in between his first and second season. He took a massive step. And one of them, I think, was he realized he was capable of doing what he wanted on the field at all times. We saw him play a little bit stronger when he was on the dribble, when he came back and sort of read the game a little bit quicker. And I think he realized that he could play at that speed. So it might happen again for the Rapids where he takes another step going forward. It's a unique move at his age. I'm a little surprised that he was like so quick to find a spot like this coming out of Azed and not maybe trying the can I get to Belgium on a loan? Can I get to Scotland on a loan? Can I come back to MLS on a loan and then figure something else out going forward like we're seeing Richie Larea sort of deal with um, on his own? But I think it's a unique move in that way, the way Mihailovic has handled it. And it's obviously all of this is positive for the Rapids. Like they are a better soccer team today than they were one year ago. Even though Joe hates X, Stefan? That's not me. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, so the, the thing with the Rapids is they were one of the worst goalkeeping teams in all of MLS last year. So almost any move that they and made they signed in that like category, three goalkeepers to try yeah. and fill that. Yeah, they they did not do great in that category. So almost any move, not any move, but almost any move is going to see like a marginal uptick from them. And I wouldn't even be surprised if Zach Steffen like is a better player for them than anybody they had last year. I think that is a very fair thing to expect. My beef with Zach Steffen is he just hasn't proven to be the goalkeeper that it seems like his pedigree would dictate and it seems like the the general discourse around him dictates, right? He's with the crew. Greg Barthers, the USMNT coach. Zach Steffen sort of gets ushered in and, and was like a big name in MLS at the time as a relatively young American goalkeeper. He makes that move to Man City and that is the thing that colors everyone's viewpoint on him, right? I, I tweeted out some of his stats, which is just generally showing him as a below average goalkeeper or at least someone that concedes more goals than expected across Major League Soccer, across the Bundesliga, across his year, what was it, Middlesbrough that he was at in the championship. Like, he just hasn't put in a ton of really useful seasons. And I tweeted that that uh, graph out at one point, and data is out at one point, and folks were in my comments saying, well, Man City signed him, like, doesn't that mean anything? And hmm. usually when Man City signs players, it does mean something. But not always, right? Like, just because a player goes to a club... Mix Discarude would like a word. Yeah, Exactly, right? Like, I think it is always foolish to let someone else's mistake become your own, right? And Zach Seven can add value. He is decent with his feet. I think he is a better goalkeeper than certainly some in Major League Soccer. And he will probably represent a small upgrade for the Rapids. But, um, man, even when the first news of that broke right around MLS Cup, I'm sort of thinking, like, is this... Is this really what the Rapids want to spend their cap space on? Is is allocating a lot of that to Zach Steffen? It might work out. Um, I, I'm just more s- skeptical than most are, I guess. I think th- this is very interesting to me, Joe, because you are not one normally who is who is sort of very clearly anti a player or not as excited. It's why the Aiden Morris jokes are fun. At the same time, I know <laughs> it's not coming from just a like, ah, he's not good, and then you don't watch him play ever, and you just kind of stick to that opinion. All that sets up for you is there anything that like he will could do this season? Yeah. Is there an area of his game that if you see him, I don't know, connecting 40 yard balls out wide every single time, or if he starts making really big saves, like what mm. is the area for you that, that most could sort of uh, reassure you build some of that confidence back up? Yeah. It's, it's him being really sharp and disciplined with his positioning and with the shot stopping. That's, that's huge. Like that's the number one thing for any goalkeeper. And it's also his claiming crosses, right? I, I haven't gone back through to do this, but you can make a pretty, damning low light low light reel of some of Zach Steffen's indecision in the box for just the United States 
set aside his his year with Middlesbrough and set aside time in in other parts of Europe and and in MLS. Like he has not always excelled at being decisive to claim balls or to stop shots. And if he's doing those things in the first two months of the MLS season, like maybe we're seeing a different Zach Steffen, one who's refreshed, one who has gone through the trouble and the the mental challenge of not making the World Cup roster, which he's talked about, was difficult for him, right? So. I think we could see a new Zach Steffen, but if we are going to see one, it's going to look like somebody who's better at claiming crosses in the box and who's sharper with his positioning and with his reactions in front of goal. All right, so that would be the Rapids. Uh, Goss, for you, is there a team that looms as having a strong offseason so far? I think there's two that jump out to me. I would say FC Cincinnati first in I didn't know that they would be able to get a player like Miles Robinson to replace Muscara to get a player like Miles Robinson at all with the way their books are. And I haven't seen the exact number, but I assume what we see from Brandon Vasquez will be a good deal for this club, and especially in a player that they pretty much gave up nothing to get. And they helped develop him through over the years, and then they were able to move him on at a time when it feels like they are comfortable letting him go because of what they've done with Bupenza and the rumors, it sounds like, around getting probably another like solid MLS forward to be in that group. So that's one. And then the other one is the Portland Timbers. I just think this is a club that they went to MLS Cups largely at times on the back of their play at center back. Um, we've seen Larice Mabiala be that player in spurts over the years, but he's too old to do it anymore. And this is one of the clubs where anytime they played well, it felt like it didn't matter because they were not good enough at center back to be able to make a legitimate run in the MLS Cup playoffs. And so they bring in a Kamal Miller now, who I think is, you know, maybe not the most elite player, but he's flexible. Like he can play with a lot of different partners because of the way he plays. And I think that's going to be a huge move for them going forward. Yeah. I, one quick thing on Cincinnati. And then I got something on Portland as well. Since he selling Brandon Vasquez to Monterey for, you know, eight, $9 million. It's a good deal for Cincy, frankly, who are getting a lot of money for a player that they paid almost nothing for, used very few resources to acquire in the first place. And Vasquez wanted to change the scenery. I think he probably thought that was going to be Europe, and it's not. But Monterey is, is one of the absolute biggest clubs on this side of the Atlantic, so I can't really fault him for making that move. It seems like Cincinnati are bringing in Corey Baird from the Houston Dynamo. He was there starting number nine down the stretch last year. I'm curious to see, is Corey Baird the Brandon Vasquez replacement? And we're seeing Pat Noonan shift maybe the the profile of that second forward where Vasquez is more of a target guy, somebody you can play off of, or just a big body, right, for different kinds of, of balls into the box. And Bupenza is a little bit more of the freelancer, is going to do crazy stuff and is going to do a lot of really good stuff and some questionable stuff along the way. Is Bupenza now going to be more of the, the fixed point in that attack? And Baird is going to be the, the runner, right? If you think about a big man and a runner in that front too, are those roles going to switch or is Chris Albright, the, the chief soccer officer for Cincinnati, looking for another striker to play next to Bupenza and then Baird is the rotation guy? That, if I'm a Cincy fan, the second option is what I want because Corey Baird is not really anything more than like an eight goal a season kind of player, in, in, at least in the regular season. He'll look better because Cincinnati are a good team with good players around him. But I'm curious about what the forward dynamics are going to be and if there's another move there. And with Portland... I, I totally agree, Gus. They've gotten stronger. We talked about the Rapids getting stronger than they were. I think the Timbers are in the exact same place. A couple of, of question marks still remain. Uh, they've got a couple of DP spots that are open now that Nia and Jimmy Chara are gone. Chara especially is addition by subtraction because he was never a DP level player in Major League Soccer. And I'm, I'm shocked that he was with this club for as long as he was because he was never, never productive either. It's helpful to be the brother of maybe your most beloved player. Of but the like two of those guys, that's the addition by subtraction as a DP, not Nia 
Yeah, I mean, Nier Skoda, the, the thing is they were getting some production out of Felipe Mora. They've gotten production out of other number nines. They're both addition by subtraction. Yeah. But Chara is just so clearly somebody who ate up a bunch of minutes and like never really showed a reason as to why he should be on the field outside of a, a sibling. So anyway, those those are good moves for Portland, but they've got DP spots to, to figure out what to do with. And apparently there's interest from Brazil in Evander. That's been reported by Tom Bogart and others as well. We'll see what happens there. Um, but I'm curious about Kamal Miller. So... This is a guy who excels in a back three, has done so for Canada, was really good in a back three for Montreal. I am not at all convinced about him playing in a back two, right? When he is covering that much more ground and is forced to be a defender who is dealing with a bigger bodied center forward, I'm not sure that we've seen him show a real ability to do that. So I'm curious, is Neville going to play? Phil Neville, new, new Timbers coach, is he going to play a back four and just use Kamal Miller next to McGraw? Or are we going to see a back three, which would be a shift from what we saw basically well, we saw a bit of that under Gio Severese, but not a ton. Is that what we're going to see? And how does that change the dynamics and in, in the lines ahead of that? So lots of questions, but I agree on talent. Getting Miller in a trade with Miami, not giving up a ton for him is valuable. Max Cripo apparently is going to sign for the Timbers and he'll be significantly better than any goalkeeper they had last season. Those moves make the Timbers stronger. So I would say for starters, you have a guy in Ned Grabovoy that's taken over this club as the controlling interest now instead of Gio Severese. The assumption would be that he brought in Phil Neville to play a certain style and they're now fitting the players into that. So I think, Joe, there's a decent chance they are. We saw Neville do it with Inter-Miami. It felt more like reaction than yeah. his idea, but we still saw him play that way. The last thing would be the Portland Timbers love to sign attacking fullbacks that cannot defend. So it would also fit their game model pretty well. I think the Evander rumors are interesting because I love Evander as a player. I thought he was very good for a year one big money signing for a club that was pretty chaotic and the expectation being at his age that he would take another step this year. But sometimes I think with the signings at this level is like a club gets an all of a sudden uh, get out of jail free card and it's hard to turn down of like if someone's going to give you the money you spent for Evander, which was a club record, and you can kind of walk away and say, actually, we get a second shot at this. Maybe we're not 100 percent sure. Maybe he's not an MVP candidate, which is what he should be at the number they spent. Sometimes teams just jump at that because they're kind of nervous to sit on it. And the assumption being the owner is giving you the money to spend already. If you get that money back, you get the chance to spend it again, especially now, as I mentioned, it would be Ned Grabovoy's 100% decision, as well as Phil Neville being involved. Joe, any concerns about the Timbers replacing Evander's Europa League assists? <laughs> you remember it. Let's go. I got um, you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, they can probably do that. I think they okay. can probably handle. I think they can probably handle that. <laughs> Good. Okay, so Joe's not too worried about that one. In terms of departures, uh, has Cade Cowell to Chivas been made official at, at at time of recording? It seems like he's got the passport. Heavily rumored. I think there are talks underway. Do we feel like this is a move that's going to happen? Put it that it, way. It, it seems like this move is going to happen. I don't mm -hmm. believe it's crossed the line yet as we're, as we're recording. Goss, I'm curious about your perspective. And Taylor, yours too, right? Because I think we've all seen a lot of Cade Cowell. It's always been this like, will he, won't he kind of thing. Is, is he going to make the jump as probably the most athletically gifted player in the U.S. player pool? And man, he, he just hasn't, right? He comes out and shines in January camp. Nothing comes of that. He comes out and he has a couple of good games for the Quakes. Nothing comes of that. There are European offers that are small. The Quakes say no, and they're continuing to wait for their opportunity. 
It seems like this move, though, is is further along than anyone we've seen before. My perspective is just he needs a change of scenery. Like something has to change for Cade Cowell because he has stagnated and even sort of reversed his steps in Major League Soccer. Go somewhere else. Go basically anywhere else. And if, if he can carve out any small role at Chivas or you know maybe that's going to take time, whatever it is. I think that has value. So, Gus, I don't know where you're at on this, but I, I hope this move happens. No, I agree with you. One, I think for San Jose, just get something. Like, they've tried to reset their academy, which for, you know, mistakenly for where they are physically, like ge- geographically, they didn't really invest in and put any time into. And now they feel like they have a class of players coming through who can be difference makers and be sold on. Kid Cowell's at the front of that. You kind of just have to make that first move. I also think, as Joe sort of mentioned, he has stagnated. He is not getting better with San Jose. He is not making San Jose better. I think a lot of that is San Jose is not invested heavily across the attack, and there's a lot of focus on him. That won't be the case if he goes to Chivas. I also think the Liga MX game model fits him of like the game opens up. You get 1v1 opportunities. There's space there for him to run. He is a runner. Like That's who he is, and we've seen him at his best with San Jose is when they can play him through in transition, and he can sort of attack players but at full speed. When the game is set, when teams sit deeper, He struggles to be a difference maker. He struggles to affect the game. And so it feels like overall it's a good move. I think the key for San Jose would be you have to have a sell-on built in internally in Liga MX as well. It can't just be you get a percentage when he moves countries because what we've seen over the years now is like if he plays well at Chivas, there's a decent chance his next move is Monterey, Tigres, or Club America. And so you just want to make sure you get a piece of that as well because that's at this point now, sort of feels like that's your best case progression of his career. Are either of you surprised that it's Chivas where he might be going? Not really, because this is now like the fifth American Mexican player in MLS who's young. Chivas is, they've spent themselves out of their own market. Like they've cornered themselves. We can only sign one type of player. So Liga MX teams, come on down and charge us your highest number. And so we've heard Brandon Vasquez connected. We heard Efra Alvarez connected. Obviously, Zendejas went and played there. It is not shocking that Chivas would value this player higher than anyone else in the world. And as much as everyone loves transfer market, like transfers are fake. They are based on what it Someone, one place, is willing to pay for a player. And this was a best-case scenario, I think, for San Jose and for Cade Cowell. That, that's a great point, Goss, because I think I'm still living in the world of like Jose Torres choosing to play for the United States. And though even though he plays his entire club career in Mexico, he's called Jose Gringo Torres. But you're right. I think there have been concessions in the past. Uh, so I, I'm less concerned then, although I do still wonder how it works for him if he doesn't hit the ground running and develop fairly quickly. If there is much patience for Cade Cowell, we shall see on that front. I will also root against Chivas every time he's on the field because I root against that club no matter what. That'll so That'll those concessions have not moved. Uh, a, a, a little bit of news that uh, I think dropped as we were recording yesterday, Joe, was uh, Denny Boanga maybe not wanting to stay with LAFC. How are we feeling about that one? Yeah, so Boanga had done an interview in France. Of course, he's in the middle of his offseason before LAFC preseason starts back up again and basically said, like, I I want to play in France or I want to you know, play in Europe, right? It seems to me that it's a lot of contract posturing. Uh, it, it's a big story, to be clear. Like, if if this is not smoothed over with LAFC, he talked after MLS Cup, and it's like, well, you know, this is where my future is going to be, right? He clearly has options. There has been interest. 
but the question is, is this just contract posturing or does he actually want to leave? I think it's too early to say he actually wants to leave coming off of a very good season last year. Also, I believe he's 29, so it's not like he's swimming in really awesome Champions League level options, but like he, he probably wants to be paid more wherever he's going to go. Maybe that's interest in the Middle East as well. He only made, according to the MLS Players Association, the 23rd most in terms of guaranteed money last year. And I think basically everyone would agree he's a top five player in Major League Soccer. So I think LAFC are going to have to shell out a bit of money and, and really make him the highest paid LAFC player, even maybe over what they were paying Carlos Vela. Like they're going to have to shell out some money here. And I think they should. And if, if they do that, I think everybody probably feels pretty confident that Bawanga will be back. He'll be at a high level again next year, and he will be the guy for LAFC, depending on maybe what they do with an open DP spot here coming up. But that's where the Dennis Bawanga situation is right now. It seems to me like two parties trying to feel the other out. Uh, one move I wanted uh, to mention before we take another break, uh, Pedro De La Vega, it sounds like, is about to be official for the Seattle Sounders. Uh, that is a player who I know almost entirely from FIFA career mode where he is a player that I always sign because he has crazy high potential. Uh, but when you do then read about him and watch a little bit of him, that feels like a slam dunk signing for the Sounders. That feels like another sort of move for them, in my opinion, uh, of like, he's 22. He's going to play there for two or three years. They'll sell him on somewhere. They'll make a good chunk of money off of him. I think uh, I forget where he is coming from, but I think I think it's Lanos in yeah. Argentina. I think they're keeping maybe twenty percent of his rights. Yeah. So uh, maybe maybe that's the move that uh, Kate Cowell and the and San Jose should strike us, and and then it all works out. But yeah, for Pedro de la Vega to the Sounders, that feels like a a, a very smart move for a very good young player. Uh, speaking of good young players, Goss, before we break, uh, one more. Do you want to talk about Tejan Buchanan at all? Yeah, I think this is awesome. Are you guys not stoked? <laughs> you guys don't like Canada. That's probably why. I, I honestly didn't even know this happened. That he went to Inter Milan? Yeah. Yeah, I missed he's, that one. So he's going to be the first Canadian to play in Syria um, on the men's side. I don't even know what it's called on the women's side. Um, but obviously there are women that play at Juventus. Um, but it's, listen, he played at a youth club on his own. Went to Syracuse, kind of unknown. Comes out as Generation Adidas signing. Is a double-digit draft. I think he was the 11th pick in that draft by the New England Revolution. Works his way through the system um, and ends up in Belgium. Plays well enough to now go to Inter Milan, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world. So it, it's a cool story for him. He is an exciting player. He's so fun to watch. He's shown his ability to play as a wingback if he needs to. So he's shown a little bit of versatility. He's clearly being brought in at this time of year because Inter Milan has an idea that he can play for them and be a difference maker it continues to add to like there are these star young players that can carry the Canadian national team and potentially allow them to continue to be competitive like we've seen with Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies, Steven Ustakio, and now Tejan Buchanan and he's had his moments when the other guys haven't been there like he has been the best player on the field for Canada in big time games especially against Mexico in Gold Cup that we saw a few years ago so it's exciting it's awesome it's I assume it's a big deal for the Revs like the Revs probably just made a bunch of money without moving which is always why these things matter for teams and why teams have to handle this the correct way and have the sell-ons and have the belief in a player. But Tejan Buchanan, he, you know, he's a fantastic player. He's fun to watch. It's a great career arc for him. It still shows the, the warts in the youth development pipeline, but it also just shows like the potential is there if you kind of have your own self-belief. And now I think Syracuse has produced like six full international slash European Champions League players in the last 10 years or something like that. 
I do take a decent amount of notes while you two are talking because you tend to say interesting things that are worth remembering. Uh, for that one, I have Goss plus Tejan Buchanan equals, and then I just kept doing hearts until it felt like you had stopped making points. We got to seven hearts, David Goss. So that's how much Goss is stoked about this move. Congratulations to Buchanan. Congratulations to you two. We've made it to the second break. Uh, we'll come back to talk about some coaching hires uh, and some clubs that still have work to do. Back soon. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show, gentlemen. We've had some new hires, uh, Goss starting in D.C. with Troy Lesane. Uh Are we thinking this is going to be an Hernan Losada appointment, a Wayne Rooney appointment, a Ben Olsen appointment, uh, may- maybe even maybe a Bruce Arena appointment? Where are we going with this one? Wow. Ugh, I forgot all the names. You really threw it, it gets, them at me. It gets, it gets bleak and then okay and then bleak again with a quickness. Honestly, I'm not going to lie, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but in terms of like his background and what I've seen from him and what I've been around, I think on that list, he's probably closest to Same Arena. And just like yes. <laughs> he has shown a capability of putting together teams that win at their level on this side of the ocean, right? So with Rooney... You had an interesting project, and we've seen it work or not work for some clubs. And I think Tierra Henry just gave an interview, you know, about his time in Montreal. Um, Losada, though, was like completely unknown in the U.S. and didn't know the player pool and didn't know the market and all that stuff. Lassane has is different. He built New Mexico United from the ground up himself. Um, understanding of like what a GM role looks like, how to put together a team, how to build a culture, and how to do so here. Now, that's not in Major League Soccer. It doesn't have the same salary restrictions. You're not looking at the same player pool exactly all the time, but it is closer than what you've seen with the other people. I think it's less of the like Wayne Rooney being like, oh, I need talent. Go buy me a player, which is not how Major League Soccer works. I think it's a really interesting first hire from Ali McCoyce. And I think if I was a DC United fan... Ali Mackay. Sorry, continue, David. I was waiting for that one because I was like, I have no idea what this name is off the top of my head right now. <laughs> you went with Ali McCoy's, which I, yeah, I was like, Rangers um, legend? That's a yeah. big appointment. How did I miss that? Okay, now I'm, now I'm back with it. I think that this is a, seems like a, a pairing that has similar ideas of how to win in Major League Soccer and is working together to build towards that. That has not been the case at DC United across multiple, you know, positions, maybe ever. Like, think about the Ben Olsen years of like, oh, I think we're good. What can we do? And then all of a sudden, they cut his legs out the next year, and they don't bring in talent, or they let talent go away because they were able to get resources for it. And for so long, it was just talking about the stadium, not even talking about the team on the field. So it feels like these two people coming from a different angle in a different way than what DC has done in the past, and even without money, like, you can, if you have a concerted idea of how you want to build a team, how you want them to play, you build a decent culture, you 
try every game, they will be better than DC has been in a really long time. Taylor, can I ask you a question as the only one on this show right now who's a DC United fan? Um, that being Taylor Rockwell, not Joseph Lowry, by the way. Uh, out of 10, 10 being very excited, one being I don't care about this at all. How excited are you about the Troilus Saint hire? I'm not just just give me a number. Don't don't say anything else besides it. Just a number. I'll give you two numbers. Uh, if I didn't do this show, four. Because okay. I do this show and talk to you all, seven. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, right? Yeah, that feels the good. Four, the four number feels about right for the average DC United fan who doesn't uh, operate the Total Soccer Show. I I think Lesane is a, a pretty mid hire in terms of name recognition. I, I've talked to Troy Lesane; seems like a nice guy. Was kind to me. I have nothing against him at all. He just doesn't have the pedigree, right? Of even go down the East Coast, someone like Dean Smith in Charlotte, who we talked about last week. He doesn't have this crazy pedigree, but what he does have, I imagine, is the willingness to be relatively amenable to how Ali McKay wants to do things, right? And I think that it's has a McCoy's, lot of value. Sure, yeah. If you're McKay, now, Ali McCoy would hire Dean Smith. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> Very absolutely. True. If you're McKay, though, in your first year as a top dog in a front office, uh, making a change for uh, a team that has been stuck in the 2000s for. 20 years now, like if you're that guy, it's probably pretty helpful to, to be in a situation where you have control and you're not constantly fighting with your head coach for everything. And I think Lesane is a, a solid hire who has a little bit of MLS experience, has plenty of American soccer experience, seems like a young dynamic manager who can continue to grow in his career and also gives Makai some control that probably is a really useful thing for him at this stage. And just we're going to talk about Montreal in a second, but like know where you stand in the whole hierarchy, right? You're not getting the finished product as DC United. So it's like, you are always either going to have to go in on like someone, maybe a little bit more experienced that you already know the warts of, or someone younger who you're hoping has the potential to get there. Troy Lusane fits in that second group, but I think that's the right move for DC United right now with a new GM, rather than sort of leaning into like a Jason Kreis or a, Caleb Porter, and those are the two names that came to mind. I like that you spat those names out. Um, <laughs> I felt bad Gus, about I, it. I don't disagree with you, but why do you like? Why do you feel they're not at that level? Oh, because they're a bad club. Like okay. they've been a bad club for a really long time. There are restrictions to what they do. I think uh, I don't know a ton here, so I'm not speaking as much from experience as much from like looking from the outside. But like, I think Dave Casper gets a lot of heat. Dave Casper is in a position for a reason. And I think he's in a position because if Dave Casper wasn't there, they'd operate the same way. And then someone else would get all of that heat. So it feels like they're not going to spend at a crazy level, although they've brought in the Bentekes and the Roonies at times when they find it, you know, the right moment. I think in terms of the soccer atmosphere in the U S of like when people care less so than like, how do we get our team over the line? Um, and they're a resource thin club across the board, similar to Red Bulls of like, when you talk about scouting and the youth development pipeline and just like employees working at the team, they are a thin team. So I think for a lot of managers, if you have options, they are not the one that jumps off the list for you, even though there is still potential. It's a massive market. It's on the East Coast, so if you're bringing players in from Europe, it has a huge South American and Central American population, so players feel comfortable coming in. Like, there's a lot of selling points to it, but it, I think you reach a certain amount of years of being poor where now you have to start the conversation with people of like, well, we know we've been bad, instead of ignoring it and pretending like the selling points are at the top of the list. And I even look at the moves they've already made this year of like, Aaron Herrera is a good MLS player for Juan, who they probably 
didn't want to be a part of their team. So they gave up something they don't care about to get a piece. Jared Stroud has shown he can sort of compete in Major League Soccer versus a year or two ago. They were giving up five, 600000 allocation for Derek Williams, who you know can't play as a starter in Major League Soccer. So I feel like it's already gotten better, but on the small side, it won't be the like, okay, now we're going to go out and sign our own Cucho, and we're going to sign four of them, and we're going to change the way we're perceived. Um, do you all feel like Lesane is a coach that plays with the pieces he has and the squad that's assembled? Or do you think he has a vision for how he wants to play and needs certain players to make that happen? I honestly don't know. I really don't feel like I have a good grasp of that. We've seen so little of him as an MLS manager. We've seen like barely any of him as an MLS manager. And I don't think any of us on this show can claim to have watched a ton of New Mexico United. So I'm hoping to do more research on that. But if I had to guess what DC is going to look like this year, they will probably be a relatively pragmatic in a soccer sense team that is not committed to totally dominating the ball because I don't think they're going to have the pieces to do that. And Lesane certainly hasn't shown that a ton as far as I'm aware. Uh, I bet they'll press a little bit, maybe more than most, and they'll probably play out of, you know, a pretty flexible 4-2-3-1 or depending on who the, the next DP is, if they're going to get somebody, that could change the shape. But Taylor, it's it's just really hard to say right now. I'm assuming it's equally hard to say what Laurent uh, Courtois will be doing in Montreal, Joe. No, actually, at least I, I feel like I have a better grasp of what Courtois wants to do. Quickly, the background on Courtois was hired by CF Montreal. That was that last week, earlier this week, times a flat circle, doesn't matter. Uh, 45-year-old manager, most recently of Columbus Crew 2, an MLS Next Pro. Goss can do this better than I can, but I'll do my Goss impression. Columbus Crew 2 are the best uh, MLS Next Pro team. They have a commitment as a club to bringing players through. Taha Brun is the best player who's ever existed he was leading this this crew two team All and playing and playing um like like Nancy ball right but he was doing that even before Wilford Nancy came in from Montreal so the timeline is Courtois is with the Columbus crew yeah. he's yeah. coaching in their system then Wilford Nancy comes over Nancy's coaching the first team Courtois coaching the second team now Courtois goes to fill Nancy's old job and taking over for Hernan Lasada who was DC United manager uh, again these connections are super deep between all these clubs and Courtois is going to play with the ball like Montreal were because they've said so, disappointed that Lasada deviated so much from Wilfred Nance's style of play. Uh, that's on them because they hire Tornan Lasada who doesn't play like Wilfred Nance. Courtois does. So I think we're going to see a back three, either a 3-4-3 three, three, or a you know 3-5-2, depending on the positioning of that third central midfielder or those two wingers. And they're going to try to control the ball in most games. They don't have the talent to do it completely in the way the crew did last year. They won't do it like Miami will this year but they're going to have the ball against the Minnesota Uniteds, the Colorado Rapids, sort of those lower to mid-tier teams in MLS who are okay to give up the ball. That's what Montreal are going to look like this year. Gus, is there a play on Montreal that you feel like should be most excited about this appointment, given what uh, Joe just said? I think a few, but the first one that would pop out is Nathan Saliba. I think he got played out of position as a 10 under um, Losada. He's... Not Ismael Kone. He's a different player. He's more of a stay-at-home player who wants to cycle possession through his feet, but they will do some of that. The rotations in midfield are always, you know, fun for players that play in central midfield under in this system. Um, so I think he's like the big one that stands out of what his the steps his career could take. But I think if you're George Campbell, this means you're gonna get to play in possession more. This means you're gonna get to play higher up the field. Like I think there's a lot of guys in this team, probably everyone, who's a little bit more excited and thinks it'll be more fun. Um it's interesting. The one part I will add is like there are so few head coaching jobs. It's such an opportunity. Wilfred Nance left, right? Wilfred Nance left because he said, I don't want to be a part of this club anymore. 
if you were coming from being his assistant or being underneath him and going there, it just shows you, I think, how like rare it is to get the coaching job that people will take whatever they get. As much as I just said that about DC United, it is like he wants his first shot. He wants his opportunity. Obviously, he's French speaking. And as Joe mentioned, his philosophy kind of fits with what the club wants. But like Wilfred Nantes walked away from that to move to Columbus, which as they won MLS Cup and I like Columbus as a city. Me and Joe talked about it. It's not Montreal, though. So to make that move means like you really were unhappy at that club. And now Quartas sort of stepping into that himself. But you need to get your first shot somewhere. Guys, you say there aren't that many managerial opportunities. And yet there have been like four in Minnesota there already. Seven in the last like, <laughs> yeah. And since 29,000 teams in Major League Soccer. And yet no one who's qualified can get hired for it. <laughs> Can, Joe Orgas, whoever wants to take this one, can we talk a little bit about Minnesota United and what's going on there? Yeah, I'll I'll run through it very, very quickly. Please. They're basically on pause right now. The entire club is on pause, except for the interim managerial position, which keeps getting filled and refilled. So the reason why Adrian Heath was fired with two games left in the regular season last year, he was calling the shots on the field and in the front office. He goes away. Now there are two vacancies to fill. You need a chief soccer officer and you need a head coach, right? Because there aren't a lot of people who are doing both of those jobs in MLS in the year 2024. So they went out and they hired a chief soccer officer, Khalid Al-Ahmad from Barnsley over in the third tier in England. The only problem was it was sort of an Emma Hayes situation where he was under contract for the rest of the season. They had to work out some deal. And now Al-Ahmad is going to come. But it's not going to happen until at some point later this month. I don't even think Minnesota United know exactly when he's going to arrive. And so they're holding off on hiring a head coach probably until after preseason has started. They're holding off on, on hiring a head coach. And so it's been interim shuffle. At first, it was Sean McCauley, who then went to the USL Championship. Is it going to be Indy 11's manager now? And now they've hired Cameron Nolis as, as their interim. So Knowles. they're just... Knowles, thank you. Um, they're just treading water. Like they're just completely treading water waiting for something to happen. They haven't made meaningful roster moves. I believe their only move is signing Will Trap, re-signing Will Trap, I should say. Like, fashion icon Will Trap. Fashionista, very true. Won't deny that. The pregame fits are very strong, but they've done nothing. Like they are treading water while the rest of the league is, is trying to pass them by, or they've already passed them by and they're putting distance between themselves and Minnesota United. So if we're looking at what comes next for some teams from Minnesota, would it be uh, stop treading water and do things? Yeah, like cool. it, it, this is that's, like that's it. Like that's the whole thing with Minnesota right now. They went out. They have their attacking core already. There's a, there's some roster moves they probably should make this year, um, but they're they're just hanging out. And what I will say is, if El Amad is the right guy to lead your club yeah. and is is an elite sporting director in MLS, yeah. this is all worth it, right? It's a hundred percent worth it. Uh, there's just a risk, right? There's there's a risk in wasting this time. Much less risk in MLS than there is in almost any other league in the world. But there is risk. And the question is, well, is El Amad going to be the guy who changes things like Chris Albright did in Cincy or other top CSOs around the league? And that's a wait and see kind of thing. And I guess if I want to be generous, because I think of Barnsley as being a very mid-table team, but I think I think of them as mid-table in the championship. They are now in League One and they are in fourth place. So they are in a position where they could be promoted. So I guess I don't begrudge him wanting to see what happens there and maybe just get some things set before he well, I don't think it's him. I think it's the club saying, yeah. you have a contract. This is your job. Like, you don't just get to leave, would be my guess. Because for him, he has committed to this role. He wants every opportunity to make Minnesota United good. Like, yeah, he doesn't want to leave Barnsley in a bad spot. But his future is Minnesota United's future. And he needs to be there to be able to help. It is a little surprising 
that there wasn't like a list of coaches in the conversation and hiring him that then can get interviewed by the people around the club that are still there until he gets there to like start the process. Right. Cause you literally have like an HR process that you have to start going through to then find a person you're allowed to hire, which you could start in a way without him maybe, but they don't want to. So the whole thing's a little surprising. I'll just, you know, cause Joe already did an impersonation of me. So I'll do it myself. Cameron Knowles, pretty good. No Minnesota less, United yeah. two team. Um, they were like an odd group of, they were like older, bigger players and they played super direct and it worked for them. Um, so he found a way that the team fit and he played into it and is a very nice guy. And I think a, a good leader. So I don't think they ended up in the worst spot with someone filling that role there. And I wouldn't be shocked if like he stays on as an assistant after this, because whoever comes in thinks he's done an okay job. Do you think like, do you have to have a head coach? Like, is it just important to just have somebody there? Like, the season isn't underway. We don't have preseason yet. Do you, do you need a coach there? Like, couldn't they have just waited and left that vacant for a yeah. bit of time? I, they could just hang out with an interim for the rest of the year. I think everybody's going to name someone to that role, but I don't think there's any soccer rule that says, like, this is how you have to manage your team. You've just got to have 11 players on the field. There are also, like, models that some clubs, I think, are built around where, like, there is not one person who runs everything. There is, like, someone who runs training and someone who decides lineups. Those are can all be individually different. Um, inside of a club it doesn't just have to be um, one person decides everything and is like the leader of it all but it's probably hard without a CSO by the way to, to be fair fair <laughs> they'll, they'll figure some things out uh, we are now over an hour into an MLS transfer show and we have yet to talk about the LA Galaxy Joe can you remedy that yeah I can't believe it guys um, so many things have happened for the Galaxy so far they are one of the clubs that I'm watching from now until the season starts um, Goss I'm gonna do it Taylor I'm gonna do it I think the Galaxy are going to be good this year. Maybe like second in the West. Yeah. Maybe second in the West feels right. Um, just somewhere above FC Dallas is really the key that I want to establish. So they're in the process of signing Gabriel Peck from uh, Brazil. 22-year-old, really talented young winger. And the Galaxy are trying to get younger under, under, under Will Kuntz. Easier for me to say. Uh, he is their new CSO inside the front office. Greg Vanny seems like has relinquished some control there. Peck put up eight goals and four assists in 2,600 minutes for Vasco da Gama last year. I've watched a decent amount of his tape. Great left foot, good speed, like good in tight spots. I, I think he looks really good in the underlying numbers in Brazil. One of, if not the best league outside of Europe is promising. Like this looks like a very promising young player. They've reinforced the back line, send a right back from Japan. No idea if that player is good or not. They are starting to overhaul their goalkeeping spot, or at least they're bringing in someone else to compete for the starting job. That's John McCarthy from LAFC. I think things are starting to come together for the Galaxy. They're not done yet. I think they've still got one more DP. Well, they do have one more DP spot open, even after Peck signs. I imagine that's going to be used on number nine, and I imagine that will get done before the season starts, but I don't know for sure. But there are more dominoes left to be toppled over here, and I think it's going to end up making the Galaxy a real strong force in the Western Conference in a way that they just haven't been in quite some time. Goss, Joe's paying attention to the Galaxy. Uh, any teams you will be keeping an eye on this offseason? I think when you talk about Major League Soccer or the NFL and you're saying, who should you keep an eye on? 
David Tepper is at the top of the list. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what you're going to get. Maybe he'll throw a drink at you, which I love free drinks. Maybe he'll spend a ton of money on a player. Maybe he'll decide to coach the team himself because, you know, we just talked about. You don't actually need coaches. You can kind of do whatever you want. Um, So I'll throw Charlotte in there. The rumor that just came out, I think, from Tom. And if it's not from Tom, sorry to whoever else reported something. Good. I'm glad because I wouldn't want to give anyone else credit for anything. Uh, Is Albert Gronbach from Bodo Glimt, which has become this like youth development sort of standout club in Norway that has done things that people thought weren't really possible. Uh, He's a 22-year-old attacking midfielder. 12 goals, 8 assists last season. 4 goals, 2 assists in the Europa Conference League. So we go one better than that or one worse. (laughs) It is a move that sort of stands out because it's pretty unorthodox. We've seen a little bit of stuff like that. We saw LAFC when they first started um, bringing, I can't even remember his name, a Portuguese attacking midfielder who they then trashed in their documentary after the season because he was so bad and then sold him back to Portugal. We've seen a few moves like this, but not exactly 22 Horta. years old. Horta, Andre Horta, that's who it was. Horta, that's Let's what it was. His brother is very good, plays he for is. the Portuguese <laughs> national team. They probably should have signed him if they had the opportunity. But it's just, it's an interesting move. It's a little bit different. It doesn't actually feel exactly like what I thought a Dean Smith team would try and do in their first move of like he kind of thought he'd lean in to a Premier League championship player that he had more familiarity with. And this was a team that didn't really have a connector. Like Swiderski's been the 10 so often for this team. They've tried Ben Bender there when he's healthy as well. It's a bit of a hole in their group. There are a lot of holes in this team. They spend money. They don't do it well, but they spend money. And for an offseason, that's always entertaining. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you for spending all this time, uh, taking time away from your vacation, David, taking time away from. uh... Yeah, that's correct. That's like the only other thing on my to do list today, Taylor. Our AFCON preview is uh, almost prepped and then I just write about MLS. That gets me hyped, Joe. I am stoked about AFCON, stoked about Asian Cup. Yes, Uh, I believe we are doing that preview tomorrow. I also believe, let me rephrase that. I know we're doing that preview tomorrow, but I believe Graham Ruffin is also going to be covering AFCON extensively. So make sure to subscribe to his uh, newsletter, uh, which I do do. And uh, it it was alleged that I did not yesterday on the show. But No, it was alleged that you didn't read. Well, maybe maybe it was said that you don't subscribe, but the Soccer Dispatch is going to be the place for AFCON coverage. That's where I'm going to be reading. Graham, um, my Venmo yeah. is at Joseph Lowry. Thanks. Now, maybe Joe, I, I think couldn't it's entirely remember the name. And thank you, Joe, for filling that one in. Yeah. I was sort of stalling until someone jumped I in. Thank you for that. That was very obvious. <laughs> I think it's offensive that you're just going to throw that Taylor can't read in his face. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I had to live up to the burn that you tossed Taylor's way during a break. Um, I just decided to do it on the show. <laughs> I can mostly read. Thank you very much. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you for your many contributions today, my friend. Thank you, Taylor. David Goss, the same to you, my friend. It's officially snowing. All right, man. Go go gnar that powd, bro. Nope, we're done. All right. <laughs> Listeners, we'll talk to you again tomorrow for our AFCON preview. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.